there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast with me, Rob O'Donoghue. If you're a first-time listener, first time to the show, welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dennis Collins. And I hope you go back and look at some of and listen to some of the uh, 30 or so that I've released beforehand. Please stick around. Lots more to come. And obviously, for those that are listening on a weekly basis, thank you so much for continuing to enjoy the episodes. So this one, as I said, is with Dennis Collins. So where do we start with Dennis? He's a, a former global executive with IBM. He's been in the IT industry for 25 years. He's a, an award-winning visionary uh, and respected business leader, very much widely acknowledged for significant contributions he's made in the, the Munster region in the last 10 years. I guess a lot of the good work he's done has now led him to become a lead in the national strategy for economic growth in multiple regions via his IDA appointment to the chair of the IDA Regional Development Committee. He is also a CEO of Smarter Dynamics and chairman of Smarter Senses, where he's done work for, for Shine Ireland. The list goes on and on. He has been noted for his articles and op-ed pieces in the Sunday Business Post, Silicon Valley Magazine, Connected Magazine. Yeah, I think you get the picture. Dennis is a... An amazingly energetic, positive character that brings a lot to the table. He calls himself a pace setter. He herds cats. Again, uh, it's terms that Dennis uses during our conversation. But he gets things done. He moves things forward. And there's a huge element of corporate social responsibility in what he does and what he talks about during our episode. He's from New York originally, and he talks about his background there, going to university there, starting out with IBM, uh, and then moving moving to Ireland t- 10 or so years ago. I hope you enjoy the show with Dennis. It's one I've been waiting to do for a while. I was delighted to get him into this little studio I put together. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please uh, certainly let me know. And as I said, come back for lots more episodes of the 1% Better podcast. Now, I give you Dennis Collins. Thanks. Hey folks, so we're here uh, for another episode of the 1% Better podcast with Dennis Collins. Dennis, welcome to my studio. You're the first person to be in my new studio. Before I had a kitchen table, but now I have a bit more professional <laughs> setup. Delighted to be here. Thanks for coming in. So Dennis, I won't go into all the details of, of the many roles you play, but uh, CEO of Smarter Dynamics, you're on the... Uh, IDA board, the RDC, and, and a board director. Uh, you're a former IBM global executive and also chairman of Smarter Senses, uh, which is more of a CSR type activity. Sure. Would that be would that be fair? That's yeah, a good summarization. What would you what would you say yourself? How would you kind of define yourself or give your own pitch of what what you're kind of about? I'd say uh, I'm uh, a New York guy who's now currently working uh, in Europe and Ireland for, for quite a while. Um, had uh, lucky enough to have a, a terrific career with IBM, branched out to a bunch of other things. Um, from a, a, an essence standpoint, as, as the career and, and life has developed, I'd say uh, a primary uh, uh, motivation and on, on what I've about is in addition to doing new and unique things in business, uh, I, I also have a passion for bringing together a, a collective of, of social uh, 
as well as commercial impact. And I think when you find a way to do that successfully, uh, besides doing the right thing and feeling well, you can also drive business. So uh, I think that's a, a major part of what I try to accomplish. Okay, good, good mix. We met a few years ago at ITA Cork. Uh, that was the first time we connected, and I've always been very impressed by all the work you've done for, for the region. I'd like to just step it back a little bit, though. You said you're from New York originally. Yes. Um, growing up, what did the young Dennis Collins aspire to be? <laughs> you're still a young man, no, obviously. I'm not going to say astronaut. No? <laughs> Fireman or something? Like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, and I've said this in other interviews, when I was very young, I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be NYPD cop. Okay. So that was kind of when I was much younger. Um, you know, grew up in, in, in New York, um, uh, had a good childhood, and, um, you know, probably as things uh, moved on, went to school, did find a passion for um, uh, uh, computers. Right. I wouldn't call myself a tech head with the, you know, uh, probably a lot smarter guys than me, but I, but I did uh, start to find a passion for it, and really on the application and the utilization of it and how you could, you know, try to change the world, make money, nothing wrong with the commercial sense of it, mm-hmm. but I did start to, to have a passion for that and was lucky enough to, to uh, join with IBM coming out of college and, uh, you know, had a good few years with them. Did you have any big influencers when you were growing up? Anyone stick out or inspiration? Hmm. I had many, many, uh, I had family members, you mm-hmm. know, I had a brother-in-law that, that was, uh, still with us, a great man, kind of taught me a lot of things about life. My parents, you yeah. know, learned a lot of things about, you know, working hard and trying to make a difference in the world, but, you know, it takes hard work yeah. and commitment. They were probably my, when I was very young, the, the, uh, the, the main drivers as I probably got older um, you know probably a few sports figures you know kind of mm-hmm. like the way um, you know and later on in life a gentleman well, like by Derek Jeter who was a big player for the Yankees and always yeah. handed himself with with style was, mm-hmm. was able to drive the results right. but on top of that I think to be a good leader you also have to be able to bring the right charisma, charisma and yeah. manners Right. to the table. In addition, he was, you know, I think the mother was white and the father was black. Right. And so the combination of all of that, I, I always admired the ways of the handle himself, adversity. And, you know, for a period of time, he worked for the owner of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner, who was would have been a challenging owner. And he, he found a way to work, manage up, as it were, mm. manage down, lead his team as right. a captain, uh, as well as to deal with the public in general. So I always kind of admired the way he, he handled himself. And then at the bottom line, could drive the results from a number standpoint. Yeah. And you can do that. I think that's true leadership. And what's he? What's he? He's, he's retired. He now. retired. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what's he doing now? Has he moved on to? Doing he's um, from what I've seen in the papers, he's involved with potentially trying to uh, purchase um, with a bunch of other partners uh, okay. a major league baseball team, which mm-hmm. is a huge play. I mean, in the yeah, billion yeah. dollar league. Right. Um, uh, and I think he's been involved in some some activity. I might have been the Marlins or somebody like that. I think. So you're a Yankees fan? Correct. Okay. Bronx boy. So. Right, right. Okay. I have family living in Queens. I think they're probably more the Mets, I guess. Yeah, they would lean more to it. Historically, they'd learn, lean towards the Mets. Yeah, very like, good. Like, I grew up probably about 30 bucks or so from Yankee Stadium. Okay. So it's in your DNA. So. Yeah. Yeah. What was your first job when you were growing up? Do you remember? I do. My first, well, actually two. There's two. There's one real small, it's relevant to this country here. Probably was around nine, ten years old. 
one of the first jobs was going down to O'Neill's farm in West Cork and picking spuds. And I don't know if you got a shilling or whatever it was back then, but you'd fill the spuds and you'd get paid. It's like, wow, this is pretty good. So it was kind of like a distant memory. And then the one after that, I was probably just in in grammar school, national school, um, and worked for a gentleman by the name of Benny Porco, who was an Italian um, uh, fruit stand owner. And I worked there after school on weekends, uh, delivering the product, um, uh, cleaning up in the, in the store, taking off the boxes and all. This is kind of, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. So I was one of, I learned a lot through that experience. He's yeah. a tough guy to work for, but he was, uh, he ran a, you know, you learn how to run a business and yeah, he ran yeah. a, and he ran a very good business there in the Bronx. So you, you had some lessons from those jobs that you carry through. Yeah. Show up on time. Right. Be respectful. Early. Yeah. Um do do your job, do yeah. it well and uh you know at the and then at the end of the week you did all that besides getting paid he gave you a, a bag of fruit okay. to bring home to your mother. You're five a day there. <laughs> well, I, I can see you turned up on time for this today so that that carried through. Well, well done for that. So did you go to university? I did Fordham, Fordham University in New York. Okay. And study- used to be the largest uh collection of Jesuit um priests in the world. Okay. Uh, that's probably shrunk a little bit, but a Jesuit university uh, studied communications and business right. uh, based in New York. And, um, you know, proud of the Jesuit training, which you know, stands to you in many forms throughout life for perseverance as well as, you know, excellence. And one thing about the Jesuits that I always respected is they had a good balance of, you know, religious thought, but combined with commercial and business thought and trying to bring those that ethos together, which I talked about earlier, where if there's a way where you could make social impact while still driving business, you know, mm-hmm. it's a win-win. And it's, it's, I think it sustains business more. So I think there's a lot of that goes back to the old Jesuit training. It's crazy, isn't it, how yeah. those sort of things impact your later yeah. life and decisions and the path you're on, but at the time you don't realize Teachers that at all. Teachers deserve... Um, you know, going back, there was a couple of teachers that I had when I was younger when you were saying people who made yeah, it back. Yeah. And uh, teachers deserve a lot of credit for, I think, with the, the future women and men that we become as we grow up in, in adults. A very, very important role and um, probably should be paid a hell of a lot more than they are. Hmm. But, um, you know, I admire a lot of the teachers that I had throughout life, which helped me, you know, be a better person as well as a better business person. Cool. So when you came out of university, what was your first big job? Was it with IBM? I went into IBM, into IBM, yeah. IBM. Yeah, graduate was, program or something like that, was it? went straight in. In fact, it was, supple, it was called supplemental. So you kind of like were part uh, full-time, but you weren't on the books. It was like a six-month deal. Right. It was kind of a way probably for them to check you out to yeah. make sure that, you know, you, they wanted to hire you. So I did that for six months and uh, then eventually got hired in. Um, did a lot of things in the beginning, you know, you know, worked in the data center, actually, you know, pulling cables, even right, and things right. of that nature, bust some tag tables and the whole elevator shoot back yeah. in the old days. And, you know, at the time it was kind of tough work, but it's amazing how life progresses in certain ways as my career evolved. And I had the opportunity then to move into more of sales and, and client facing functions down mm. the line, the ability of knowing how a computer room worked down to the cable and yeah. tying up and direct access, DASD, as we used to call it, direct access storage devices and controllers and CPUs and what each of them did from a function standpoint to be able to go into a client yeah. or, you know, a CIO and get down to that level of discussion. Mm. Um, it, it gave you credibility, it totally. gave you relevance 
and would help you form a partnership, which I think is very important with clients. It's not just about the one-way sales, it's about a long, but collaboration, partnership, bringing the two-way value to each other. Mm. So uh, that experience, that was one of my first roles. Well, it was probably tough at the time, and you might be thinking, God, where's my career going from here? Yeah. It's amazing how life works out where it had a lot of value um, being able to speak with clients. True, I, I kind of can relate to that because I think when my kind of one of my first technical roles was a network engineer, a systems engineer, right. configuring virtual machines, and then when I became a project manager, I was on the other side of it, getting the guys to do the work, and they might say, "Oh, that will take a half a day to do." I was like, mm, "You probably do that in two hours," or you had some sort of credibility to actually. Uh, have a conversation at that sort of level and then they'd actually again give you some kudos for understanding it and that helped create a relationship so so absolutely did you get into a management role then uh not for a couple of years so i went in there um was in um payroll distribution for a while and then they uh was part of some called the redeployment program where i moved out into the field okay um did a couple of operational roles in a branch office we had a branch office model at that time uh, and then eventually segued into um, sales um, in the insurance industry. At first, the uh, smaller accounts and then the insurance industry. And then eventually moved into um, uh, management positions and other roles as we moved on after that. Across sales and distribution, then did a, ter- uh, a role in uh, uh, IBM Global Financing, right. where we um, uh, put together the financial marketing center, the first FMC, right. uh, which focused on mid the mid-range business. Uh, which we turned from uh, a small uh, uh, group to a $500 million uh, a year um, a model. So in, a, in those roles, I had moved into management. So, the, But it was probably you know, a good seven or eight years before that all started to kick in. Okay. And when you got into was was that something you aspired to get into yeah. management? You, you had it that was. drive? I, you know, on two levels. Number one, it was something I probably aspired to personally. And mm-hmm. I think this, my skill set lends itself. To that a bit, yeah. um, and I'm not perfect at everything, but I think I was and am a pretty good manager. Uh, and then, secondly, in any type of organization like that, whether it be a multinational or you know public sector or larger type of uh, organizations, uh, the way to kind of you know progress your career uh, also is if you to get management experience because you know you want to have a, a good discipline and a skill set and being able to be good at something. Yeah. But then having manager experience makes you more marketable and you know helps you progress your career. So it was probably those two things went in the back of my mind: personal one and then a progression uh, sure. motivational one. And when you got into those kind of management and leadership type roles, did you have a clear? St- style of management or how did that form or was it through training was it through your your previous career um it's a great question uh first of all one thing that ibm and uh, probably you know other multinationals do well is they have very good education uh, Mm -hmm. internally they're always going to classes to refine your skills and 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 increase your skill set yeah from a management perspective also they have very strong you know manager school and and you know if you continue to move on there's a pro executive resource program that, yeah, that yeah. kind of helps you on your skills over a period of time so you know the six different leadership styles and things like that so you, you, there's a very good basis and educational um, discipline that comes with it so that really stands to you on right. certain ways also um, in addition to that my motivation my my personal skill set was I'm, I'm fairly good with people you know I, I use the collaborative style most of the time you know you have to use all different six styles depending on different people you're dealing with but the collaborative style is probably one that I that I 
I, I try to aspire to quite yeah. often. Now again, it's not the sole one. You have sure. to kind of use if one, but that was probably the, 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 the set. You know, made a lot, you know, a lot of mistakes and made a lot of successes along the way. That's probably the one I, I leaned to and had the most success with it. One other point that, that I'll say on that, another aspect that I always found successful is if you can find and this is also in a lot of the external things that you and I have worked on together, whether in some of the organizations we've been involved with um, from a from a, a national regional perspective, is to I'm, I'm a big believer of using three silos kind of when you're talking with people. Probably works very well with external. Okay. Sometimes in a direct management role, you can't always do it, but there's you look at what you're trying to accomplish, and the first silo is. You know, what's important for the company or the organization or the entity that we're representing and how are you going to make sure you're addressing that? Uh, the second one is by doing that, how is that good for the region or the client mm. or whatever the external entity is that might be involved in it? And then the third one is how is that actually good for the person that's working for you or the person involved in it do they have a skill set they're trying to work on do they have a personal thing that they're trying to accomplish or whatever and if you can bring all three of those silos together and what you're trying to accomplish from a management perspective it's a home run okay. because you have you're taking care of whatever the company's trying to accomplish you're taking care of what, it, what you're trying to deploy in a region or in a country or with a client mm. and then you also take care of the personal uh, attribute of it and when you have that it, there's passion and the sustainability Mm. So, and it goes a long, long way. So, sure. so part of my management style was always to try to accomplish those things. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't always work, but if you, if you think through it that way, and then, you know, sometimes you have to use a different management style, but, yeah. but if you can do that 80, 20, 80% sure. of the time, yeah, yeah, uh, that yeah. was what I always tried to, um, try to do. So it's like a win, win, win almost. Correct. Each, each of those three winning together is Correct. a good result. So it does yeah. take an element of, you're thinking, yeah. Think Emotional intelligence, thinking through it. You know, uh, you know, it's not just barking orders. Yeah. Sometimes there's things like it's not, there's days when that does happen too. So, yeah. but uh, if you can kind of do that consistently and have a reputation for doing that, the pull strategy happens. People come to you. They want to join your team. They want to be part of it. Yeah. Um, and you do get you get results and you get uh, long-term sustainability. And then it becomes organic. People start coming up with their own ideas, and they want to go yeah. there. Sometimes you have to manage to that, but you're better off having that coming at you than nobody. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. Actually, there's a book there called The Fifth Discipline that I'm reading at the moment. It's, it's about 30 years old, but they talk mm -hmm. a lot about that. It's it's fascinating about a learning organization and personal mastery and shared vision yes. and everybody together so it's it's striking a chord there i want to talk about you moving to to ireland because this was still in the states when you were with ibm at that point yes you moved to ireland was that a big uh upheaval was it something you were really keen to do was there, uh, was there challenges in, in there was an opportunity that i had driven probably around 10 ish years ago or so uh, i was managing a, a cross u.s organization I was very focused on uh, business continuity, resiliency, a bit of data center services, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And we started to see opportunities in the mid-market, not just Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies that we're trying to go after and created a couple of strategies there. We also created a couple of uh, channel strategies working with some of our competitors even going after right. a market opportunity, which was never done before. So we did a lot of firsts with that. 
Um, and then the opportunity came to say, hey, could we deploy something like this across Europe? Mm-hmm. So at that time, a family linkage back into West Cork. And uh, my wife was from, from the region here okay. also originally. During that transition, uh, I was able to move here. There was a decision on different locations and was able to kind of manage. It was managing a pan, pan-Europe strategy at that time anyway. Right. So I came here at that time. It uh, did fairly well. And then portfolio kind of evolved a little bit and it was more mobility services and cloud services and all those things started to kick in. Mm. And so our strategies were actually perfectly aligned to that, uh, as well as mid-market type of opportunities in addition to some of the larger clients. So was it moved here for that? Uh, and then we did fairly well. And then the role evolved into a more of a global aspect. Right. That's kind of what transpired how we ended up here. So. Okay, cool. So you've been here about 10 years, right. roughly? Yes. Like, yeah. And, and as I said, when I got to know you, it was through ITA Cork and you were heavily invested in the whole region. How did you manage to get yourself injected into that? Or what potential did you see? How did that all happen? That's a great question. So first, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big believer of driving social and industry together, right? So you've heard even some of the speeches I probably made, probably a broken record, and I'll say it again, but you find a way to bring industry, government, public sector, and academia together in mm-hmm. different formats. It's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. You, you can accomplish so many things. It's hurting cats. Yeah. It's tricky to do. And as we talked about with management styles and collaborative approach and all of that, yeah. sometimes you can't do all of it. I'm a big believer in that in general, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I saw, you know, if you go back at the time, if you remember, we were also starting to move into when the Celtic Tiger issues were, and, you know, there were business issues and challenges and immigration, and, yeah. you know, there was a lot of issues going on. Uh, but at that point, the IT industry was still showing, you know, 5 to 6% year-to-year growth. Mm-hmm. So it was a robust industry, and there was too much negativity going on. And I, I do sometimes, the begrudgery does get, Something's tough, some, some strong in society, and sometimes you got to kind of give it a give it a push. Yeah. So there was that kind of background. You know, I was also a business leader for for yeah, for a multi. Yeah. So there's probably a bit of selfish aspect to try sure. and drive your brand, your own personal brand. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Again, I believe in the eighty twenty rule. Eighty percent should be for the good, and if there's twenty percent, a little bit selfish for people. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. That that ties into the sustainability thing of that third silo I was talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. So so all that. So there was a moment in time where, you know, in the country in general, that we could kind of drive better branding, better leadership, networking, and then create a set of streams that would actually drive results. So one aspect of it was to drive branding. Mm-hmm. And the other aspect was to actually drive workshops, which you were also involved and did a great job in some of the stuff. So brought you forward, brings guys like you forward. Yeah. So who are probably doing their own thing, just like I'm talking about. And everybody, it builds that machine. I probably had some selfish reasons that I want to do it for my company and from on a personal standpoint. But concurrently, it was a moment in time. Where and there were a lot of people involved. It wasn't just me, so I don't want to sound like you know just. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But there was a moment. To, you know, one important thing that I also want to convey is like moments like that where people are at their lowest, and you know, a lot of people just shouting mm. about negativity. That's opportunity. Yeah. There's you know a way. There's a moment to seize and try to to make a difference. So. A lot of people got together. I think we got a lot of different things accomplished with, with uh, varied streams that we did. Um, and that's probably what the motivation was, and we got we got some good stuff done. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was it was a you know, at a time as I said, negativity was right. Things seems to have certainly changed, and it's really exciting where Cork is is going 
now, right, and the whole European tech cluster that you were involved in as well, it seems to be taking off even at a faster rate. Yeah, and going back to the organic point, when, and again, it was collectively, when the group of people were driving leadership from a positivity standpoint and branding, it organically grows. So if you take a look now, the nation in general, there's mm. a brand of, you know, can-do spirit. It's viewed positively in a place where you want to go do business. There's things going on now in Limerick and Galway and, you know, up the southeast. There's a lot more to be done. I'm chairman of uh, the Regional Development Committee for the IDA, so we're working on some things there. Far from being done and, uh, you know, a lot of things we have to do. But to your point where there's a, there's a growing brand and growing movement, you know, in multiple industries. But And I think there's subsets of it. There's like, you know, there's animation. There's mm. virtual reality. There's uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. So there's IT, traditional IT, but then there's all the offshoots from it. And I think that's working its way into multiple areas. And, and I do think it'll be one of the things we need to continue to embrace and cultivate to drive jobs and investment across the nation. Mm-hmm. And that includes small and medium business, indigenous business working its way up, as well as the traditional FDI from, from outside the country. And if we do both of those, we focus on both of those and keep pushing it, I think we'll just continue to have more growth. Dennis, that was kind of a, a whistle stop tour of your career so far. I'd like to kind of go into just some maybe more questions around Dennis, the person, and, and your perspective on certain things. It's 1% better tips I'm looking for to, to share with folks. We talked a lot about management style. What about decision-making? How do you approach decision-making? Is there a, a methodology or do you tap into intuition? What would it be? It's a balanced approach, I think, right? Okay. So first of all, do your homework. One should be, depending on what the decision you're making, but sure. have you read the data? Have you read the market opportunity, You know the SWOT analysis, pain points, all that traditional mm. business stuff, right? Yeah. So know that, right, and go through it. And then know and believe in your people and following the, the type of collaborative style or the, the balance of the different leadership styles with that approach with your people. So you know what you're trying to do. You have a vision. You have a strategy. You have an operational plan. You have targets. You're measuring to it. All of that stuff has to be done. Mm-hmm. So you, it's not just lick your finger and go in the air, right? Mm-hmm. Hire the right people. Apply, apply the right management strategy they're talking about. And then, after all of that, there's an element of the emotional intelligence, street smarts, you know, however you want to call it. And I do think there's an aspect of uh, instinct yeah. where you put all of that together, your life experience, mm-hmm. your people, yeah. what you're trying to accomplish. So when you put all those things together, and then sometimes you know there's a bit of subjectivity to being a good good leader and a good manager. Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of that. Yeah, it's a good mix. All right, tricky, tricky yeah. dribble. You yeah. don't always get it right, but <laughs> yeah. more often than not, you will if you do it. I think. Yeah. Through your career, is there anything stands out that didn't work out so well that you might have made a mistake from? You know, mistake can be a negative word, but there's a lot of learnings from it. Anything stick out? Yeah. Actually, it was the, the multiple, There's by the way. The, but there, so the better, you know what? The more mistakes you get, the better. So that's probably enough of them in my past. But this is one earlier in my career that always stuck with me. So right. I was kind of a young sales rep in New York. And I was working on one of my first large deals. It was kind of like a $15 million deal at the time, okay. which back then was you know, it's big now, but it's really big. big then. And it was uh, had international aspects to it, which was... Something that we didn't do a lot of out of our branch at that time. 
who's with a, a major insurance company that's very, very well known. There was a, one small part of the deal which had to go into Canada. Right. And, you know, I was pushing, trying to push the deal along, get it done and answer the questions. And there was this one lawyer, this one person up in Canada that was kind of slowing the whole deal down. And he had a bunch of questions on terms and conditions and law and all, all of that. And I remember calling him up. And, you know, being respectful, uh, we're saying, just can't we just take the boilerplate terms and conditions that we have here in the U.S. and we'll just put them to that aspect of it and let's just, you know, move it along. And he was quiet for a minute and he said, Dennis, it's like your President Ronald Reagan says, Canada, it's like a different country up here. <laughs> and I never forgot it's, it, that uh, besides the humility part of it, and, there, you know, there was no rudeness or whatever, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they were a different country. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch, not that many, but different laws. They approach sure. their contractual process differently. So what I always learned from that moment is respect everything. Not everything is is cookie cutter. Yeah, and people and countries, and, and, and as well as coming over here and managing a bunch of different groups, you learn your style and your approach mm. uh, has to be very open and flexible. So I always remember that was a long time, and I, I remember that very well. And I, and I applied it to, to other international type of deals that we did, and so it was a great learning experience. Yeah, it's interesting that it, the one that comes straight yeah. to your mind, isn't yeah. it? And it's a good while back. Habits, Dennis. What about good habits and bad habits? What are your good habits? What do you think are habits that actually make you productive and successful? I'm going to talk about one that's probably good and bad at mm-hmm. the same time. I, I tend to be a pace setter. Okay. And a lot of people, you know, in certain businesses say that's the greatest thing because mm-hmm. you're moving things along. It has a negative aspect, too, if you don't, you know, again, going back to the leadership styles and how you motivate your people. Certain people require different type of yeah. approaches. So when you're a pace setter, you could isolate people a little bit. So you have to be, um, and it takes time to learn how to balance it. And, you know, when you're probably younger, you just want to get everything done yeah i think it's better to have it than not have it but you have to refine it you have to be able to understand how that behavior people will will respond to mm-hmm. so if you're kind of going so fast and not leaving people a chance to kind of learn and absorb and know what they're going to accomplish mm-hmm. that could come back to bite you so there's a fine balance so going back to her know your metrics know your vision your strategy your operational model your measurements right and having that right and communication actually i mentioned that communication with your folks on top of the right balance of your leadership styles i found that once you could kind of hone that it's it's a very good to have um Mm. it will make you get things done and make you get noticed from people from people that you report to or Mm. uh the external world saying geez look this guy's getting things done right so you want to have that but it could be so i'm answering your second question i'm going to give it to you in one shot it's good and bad but you just have to to manage to it interesting good answer i haven't heard that kind of perspective talking about uh work-life balance and i think I thought you were going to say when you have good and bad habits is that you work too hard and you, you work too hard. But how do you balance work and the life? When I was younger, I probably worked a real lot. Life dictates things sometimes. So, you know, the appropriate answer is have work-life balance. Very, very important. But sometimes life doesn't dictate to you. So there's probably going to be moments in your life where you got to work more than you probably want to, but it'll, it'll probably stand to you. Hmm. But once you get through those different phases, right, 
I, I'm a firm believer in work-life balance. I'm, I'm you got to have something that you're interested in outside of work. It could be hill walking, it could be golf, mm-hmm. reading. So very, very important for re- going to recharge. Again, sometimes you can't always do that. There's phases in your life when you have to, you know, realistically speaking, sometimes you have to do do what you got to do. I firmly believe in it. You know, and I also when I met, mentor mentor and or coach people over the years, I also always encourage them, in addition to doing those things outside of work, to also have a period of time every week where you're managing your own career. Mm-hmm. So it could be you put in your calendar 10 to 10.30, 10 mm-hmm. to 11 or whatever, you know, whatever you get, you can do that's not impacting what you're supposed to do for your day job. So I'm not condoning that, but yeah. where... You know, you look at what have I done right for the company? What have I done right for me? Or in your own business or whatever you're doing, what have I done externally? Because sometimes you have to think outside the bubble of what you're in. You can be so deep into it and you're running and there's you're trying to get work done. You're managing people. There's politics. There's all those things that are going on. Mm. And sometimes you got to take a step back and say, what am I doing for the common good? What am I doing for myself? How is this helping me progress myself and my career or my personal ambitions? Yeah. So... Work-life balance in in general. Make sure you're taking enough time, spending time with your family. Family time is very very important. You're only around for so long, so I, I, I encourage everybody to do that. And I've always done that in my life. Secondly, make sure there's something that you have that interests you that's outside of work. And then third, in your work life during the Monday to Friday, schedule some time that's your time every week, focused on you your own career, your own progression, and things like that. And I think if you balance the three of those together, you're probably a happier person. I like the tip of uh, squaring away a little bit of your own time every week yeah. for, for, for focusing on your own development. If you were to give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Probably slow down a bit. Smell the roses a little more. You'll get there. Okay. It's a long haul. So probably... And to maybe take that advice question, what's the best piece of advice you've been given that, that sticks out? At any stage. To live your life, you know, and I've always tried to do this, to live your life in a, in a certain way. So, and again, it depends on the part of the world you live in or whatever. So I'm going to use something maybe a little even parochial, but mm-hmm. family, parish, country. Okay. If you follow that, as I've always tried to do in whatever your world that is. And say, you know, I'm part of my family. I'm going to take care of them. I'm part of a broader community called the parish or whatever. Yeah. And I'm part of a country, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you go to world and all those other things. But if you just start with those and say, well, how is my behavior going to be within those three streams? Mm-hmm. What am I doing to make things better and help there? You know, how am I being a, a positive contributor and team member? And what have I learned from those groups or people. And if you kind of think through that way and apply those learnings in your everyday life, uh, I don't think you'll go wrong. Mm. If you, maybe this answer, maybe there's an answer part of, of that question to this one. Success then, when you think of success, what, what is what is success to, to Dennis or how would you kind of define well, success? Well, that's, you know, it's health and happiness. If you had health, wealth, and happiness, right? Because, you know, sometimes they're all different things. So mm. being happy and healthy is probably number one. Take care of your family, doing the right thing there. So I do think, you know, success depends on the person. Yeah. To me, it's probably a combi- a certain balance of uh, commercial success, family, and health. I think one of my biggest successes is my three children. 
Mm-hmm. So to me, that they're all doing well and they're growing up and doing well. To me, that if, if someone's asked me, what do you point? To? I'd point to that. Yeah, I think that's an important element to all of it. Um, sure. You know, commercial is is important too, and the CSR element is big in your world as well. Yes. So I'd imagine that's kind of yeah success. As I mentioned earlier, I'm really passionate about that stuff. And again, that you can bring the industry, government, public sector, and academia together. There's so much you can accomplish. And mm-hmm. you and I have been involved in certain streams and had an element of success. And have done. I've done multiple things like that across IBM or stuff with IDA or IT Cork or Chamber stuff or whatever. So or work with Shine Ireland where we created a bunch of uh, with the Smarter Senses model, which is moving into AutismAware.ie for for a help platform for parents and stuff in the autism world. CSR is probably maybe a little further along in the U.S. and other places as corporate or business model, right? So there's mm-hmm. a selfish element to that that businesses do because they want to get their brand out there there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. and so i think that's starting to come in in ireland now you're seeing more and more groups and people talking about it yeah so i think part of any good business leader who wants should want to do the right thing for their community their region their country their whatever if they're smart they find a way that that aligns to the bottom line and overall brand of what their company is trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're, the good thing you're trying to do is getting done. So I think CSR, we need to give back. We need to make a difference. And if you do that right, it propels your business and your brand at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it can be a win-win. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being that obvious about it. Yeah. As long as, again, if I kind of think about the 80-20 rule, 80% of the good stuff and 20% of the other. Mm. And, and again, that creates sustainability. Sure. Going, going back to the three silos we talked about earlier. So I think it needs to be part of everyone's life in general. I think it needs to be part of the business world in general. Mm. And if we want to be the right thought leaders and business leaders, we should all gravitate to something. And if it's good for business and drives jobs, why not? Yeah. yeah, I'll give you just like a class, you know, a good, a good example. When we, um, uh, with Shine Ireland and, you know, we got together and we brought, you know, you know, the Bon Secures Hospital came part of it. Government came, became part of it. We, there's homegrown learnings that Shine had put together. And then we were figuring out a way to digitize it. Sure. And we created, you know, a bunch of apps that this, I don't even know how many now, we had at least 50,000 worldwide users at wow. this point built here, built locally, but as we were doing that, we had we brought in some other companies like Doodle Creative, which is a local SME, mm-hmm. who ended up having to hire more people because of it. So we created a good brand for the region. We started doing the right thing for 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 Shine Ireland and for kids with autism. We're using exploiting the power of technology, and then on top of that, business was getting pulled in and getting that we were creating more jobs. So when you do all that, it's very, very powerful. And if we can do more and more and create more clusters and more things like that across the country and across the world, but just across the country, I mean, it will be a better place and we'll we'll be driving growth. Yeah, it's almost self-fulfilling in a way, the self-fulfilling prophecy idea once you get it going and it starts to... Build momentum, snowball effect, and, and all of that. The stuff. Tr- correct. The, one of the tricks is hurting the cats because quite often in that moment there's an element of people working for you maybe or a commercial organization who's going to be very sensitive to wait what's the roi in here and what do i got to do so you got to just that mm-hmm. and then bringing collaborative influence is one of the most important skills in life i believe especially if you work for larger organizations and that's being able to bring people together towards a common goal yeah. and hurting the cats as i call it <laughs> and um if 
you you have to be able to do that. And there's and especially in the early adopter in the in the early phases, you gotta be able to be a good communicator and you gotta be able to drive vision because you gotta bring people along. Even when like some of the things you and some of your, your colleagues joined in, yeah. they, they they wanted to join because they saw the vision, they saw the excitement, yeah. and they also saw the personal or company gain that could be achieved. So that's very important to herd those cats because you have a collection mm-hmm. of um, diverse type of people coming together. It's not just the bunch of people that work for you. Yeah. So that's one of the, the the tricks, one of the one of the tricky dribbles, as it were, to get that. Once you get that up and running, and you manage to it, but that that's kind of something that slows those type of movements down. Mm-hmm. The one thing, though, I think the most important for me a lot of, of a lot of that is to be authentic about it as well. Yeah. Right? So you probably can see a mile away if somebody's coming in with more of the eighty twenty on their personal side rather yeah. than the the you know the, the giving back side. I think that stands out because when that happens, it's no good. Yeah. But there's an L. I'm just, I'll repeat this though. If there's an element of it. I I have nothing. I, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, because yeah. everyone's and trying to get on with their life and do sure. something good, and you know, that, that's part of life. And, yeah, and yeah. again, that's part of sustainability. Because somebody could come in and then get sick of it, but if they're really passionate and there's a personal benefit somewhere, it's fine. But to your point, needs to be authentic. Mm. Um, you know, if there if there's a combination or anything, but you know, when they're not authentic and or there's just pure selfish then then that doesn't work and you try to you have to weed that out that's yeah. when the collaborative style goes out the window maybe sure. you bring the dictator style in <laughs> <laughs> you're tying all of this perfectly together if you could recommend i normally ask a book and a movie that you could reflect on that you got something out of that somebody could lo- look watch or, or read and or that they could take something away from maybe start with the book this is an older book and i, I don't know if it's it's one that I like to reread every every now and then, and it's The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Okay. So I don't, it's probably hard to tie back to, I, I just always found it a good read. It's, it's funny, like how as you progress in life, how your perspective kind of changes, kind of when you're younger, you're kind of like in that Holden Caulfield's um, mindset. You're kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm him. I get this or whatever and all that teenage younger angst and all of that stuff. Um, and then you start to look at a different perspective. But I guess going through adversity in life and trying to come out the other side of it, I always found from, from that. Also the idea of being the catcher in the rye mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to help people at the end of the day. I always felt that. And also um, I always found how J.D. Salinger was able to write that book from that perspective and when I was younger as an adult getting it because you kind of forget all of that right yeah, yeah, you yeah. kind of and he able to doing that as an adult was I found very skillful from, to from bring a, you right back from a him. writer standpoint yeah that I always I think that kind of stands and you know to the correlation of that probably kind of funny something with my kids about this the other day so my thing when I was that age when I was in grammar school as we call it national school yeah. was instead of being the catcher in the rye I wanted to be the guy that cut the, the holes in the chain fences like for different playgrounds say around in the New York City areas there'd be mm. kind of chain yeah, basketball yeah, yeah, courts yeah, and everything yeah. where 
there'd be holes cut in chains, chain fence somewhere where you kind of go through rather than have to go through the other side. So my thing was, I'm going to, that's my catcher in the ride. Right. I'm going to go through the neighborhoods of the, of New York City and cut the holes in the, and well, for the playground so the kids have an easier way to get in rather than go around to the other side. That kind of crazy, <laughs> uh, metaphor but before we wrap up Dennis just maybe give a shout out of how people can learn more about you get in touch with you is there anything you'd like to talk about just before we wrap up I've been appointed to uh, chair the IDA Regional Development Committee and there's a great team I think the IDA does a wonderful job uh, for uh, the nation a very passionate learned group that's providing a lot of results Uh, we're looking very closely how we can continue to drive that success Mm-hmm. Uh, across multiple regions across the country. Uh, I do think it's a balance of, you know, traditional FDI, larger companies, as well as indigenous companies and trying to figure out, um, uh, how you bring a group together. So it can't just be one organization and it can't just be the government will provide, which I think a lot of people do here. Uh, I think there's a combination of IDA, Enterprise Ireland, county councils, private industry, public sector, you know, various different influencers. So we're working on a lot of different models to drive that. We're seeing a lot more success in a lot of different regions. We need to do a lot more. But Sligo, there's some great stuff going on. Limerick, there's stuff, stuff going on. Need to start looking at more more other regions, uh, border areas and Midlands. Longford. Midlands. But I think places like Athlone are, are, are uh, diamonds in the rough. Mm. Where you could drive uh, employment from, you know, Ross Common and in the West that could compute theirs, whereas from Dublin. Yeah. And so we need to do more and more and aligning you to bring uh, ITs up to university level, make sure we have the right skill sets, make sure the right infrastructure, tying into the national spatial strategy that a lot of them are working on in the government. So very complex stuff in herding cats. So why am I telling you all that? I think it's important for the next phase of our growth. Mm-hmm. It needs to be creative solutions. We can't be all things to all people. It's not going to be a big multinational company just putting it in the middle of, of some other area and have thousands of people. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of those. So I would uh, encourage people who have ideas, reach out. It, but it's not just have an idea and dump and run. Sure. What we have to do is we all got to have a bit of accountability and ownership here. Yeah. If there's an element of somebody that 80, 20-year-old, that's fine. But it's kind of... You know, we're looking for people that will work with us, join with us, not just, oh, you guys should go do this. Let me know how you're doing. If we bring that type of thought leadership and that type of collaborative model, as well as the organic style, I think we'll see more success than things like you and I have done in the past in in this region. So uh, I'd encourage people to reach out to me there. We're really excited about that. um, And we're looking to do more and more. Get in touch over LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn is, you know, it's easy to find me. Yeah, and I can certainly attest to say if, if you come with an idea Dennis will give you a great platform to bring that forward but be prepared to, to put some of your own stamp on it and bring it forward as well exactly. because that's where you get the goodness because I've learned from experience yeah. in that way Dennis I'm, so, and you know what good way obviously it's, a, it's I'm not a genius I'm just saying you know like I'm probably good at hurting the cats and getting stuff done but that's a collaboration and you know come with an idea but own it I think there's a lot of people with great ideas and they want to dump and run. So we're looking for people like that. Well, that will come. And again, if there's something that's personally good for them, we'll kind of take a look at that. So it's cool. legal and things of that yeah, nature. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I would encourage people to do that. Brilliant. So Dennis took lots of good stuff out of there. The Pareto principle is right at the top of the eighty twenty rule. <laughs> collaboration. When I listen to this back, uh, put the show notes together, I know I'll 
again learn something from it so thanks so much for your time thank you 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 were on my list from the very start I know we were hoping to do this at some point sooner but we got there yeah so thanks a million yeah I think you're doing a great job by the way with your podcast they're very interesting Um, you're adding value to the region and leadership it's always been a pleasure working with you so uh, thanks for all you're doing great Dennis thanks so much Hey folks, you got to the end of another show. Thank you for persisting. I hope you enjoyed it as much as the others. So I'm just going to put a quick shout out for feedback. You can get in touch with me through the site. You can get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all on the robofthegreen.ie site and you can take it from there. Also, I'd love if you listen to on iTunes, leave a comment, give us a score out of five on the stars that are so much commonplace these days. I would really appreciate that if you did it. Whether it's good or bad, I can certainly take that. We'll we'll make some improvements as we go. And yeah, I'll keep it short. I hope you enjoyed and I look forward to having you back for some more 1% Better podcasts in the future. Thank you and good luck.